0: growing in God's word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: So what that I've been in prison for almost 4 years? So what that people have said things about me? So what that people have left me? So what that I've been beaten and so what that I've been stoned and so so what about all that stuff?
0: circumstances. Do they ever get you down? I think most of us would have to say that at times our circumstances get the best of us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you probably already know that God has called us to rise above our circumstances. But just exactly how do we do that when from
1: our perspective, everything looks pretty bad? Paul didn't rejoice necessarily in what he was going through. What he rejoiced in was the outcome. I'm
0: Rick Freeman. Welcome to this week's Crosswalk. We're making our way through the book of Philippians in our series entitled Heartbeat. As Pastor Clay has already shown us in this series, Jesus Christ was the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul's life. Today, we're continuing in chapter one, where Paul reflects on his circumstances and then makes a startling declaration. In this I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. As Pastor Clay is going to show us today, Paul didn't allow his perspective to change his priority. And because he didn't, he was able to walk through his circumstances with the joy that God brings to a person who is trusting in him. Christ
1: is proclaimed. The end result is that the kingdom of God is advancing. And in this, in that fact that the kingdom was advancing, in that, I rejoice. Yes, I will say it again I will rejoice.
0: Maybe you're at a place in your life where your circumstances seem overwhelming to you. If so, today's message may be especially important for you. I'll be back later to wrap things up. But right now, here's Pastor Clay with this week's crosswalk. This past uh,
1: Sunday evening, a 27-year-old young man by the name of Webb Simpson won our nation's national championship in golf, the United States Open. Now, if you don't know it, Webb is uh, from Raleigh. He grew up right here in Raleigh, from this area. Now, oh, oh by the way, I, I don't, you may or may not be aware of this, but um, the first major championship of the year this year the Masters, was won by Bubba Watson, who is a devoted follower of Jesus. Webb Simpson, who won the U.S. Open, I'm thinking this guy has probably hit hundreds of thousands of golf balls to get to this point in his career. He's probably practiced for untold numbers of hours on the driving range. Who knows how many rounds of golf he has played in his life. He has made millions of dollars in uh, winnings and many more millions in endorsement contracts. So obviously, to get to the place where he's gotten in his life, golf is an intricate part of Webb Simpson's life. But if you asked Webb Simpson... What is the heartbeat of your life? I don't believe that he would say that it was golf. If you ask Webb Simpson what is the heartbeat of his life, I think you would hear him say that it was Jesus Christ. Uh, Jim Jackson and and, uh, Wright Jackson invited me a couple weeks ago to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes luncheon on North Carolina State's campus uh, where... uh, Webb Simpson was the guest speaker, and it was such a blessing to hear this young man who who really has so much now fame and notoriety and fortune. It was such a blessing to hear him talk about the importance of Jesus Christ in his life. Webb Simpson, I believe, would say that the heartbeat of his life is Christ. Now, I mentioned earlier Bubba Watson because what that means is there have been two uh, major championships so far this year, and they've both been won by followers of Jesus, I'm just saying. They've both been won by followers of Jesus. Now, that means if a, a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, should win the next two major championships left, the, the uh, British Open and the PGA Championship, if you held all four of those at one time, that's considered the Grand Slam. So, we're, we're going for the Jesus Slam. So, I want you all to all be thinking about that this year. <laughs> I know, some of y'all like golf, whatever. Um, but if you ask Webb, what is, the, what is the heartbeat of his life? What's the driving passion of his life? I believe that you'd hear him say, based on what I heard him say and what I've heard him say on TV, the heartbeat of my life is Christ. Now, I mentioned that today. I bring that up. Because I think sometimes that there's an idea. We've started into this series in Philippians and we're walking through and we're talking and that very first week we said, listen, I'm not hiding this. It's right up front. I've been trying to tell people this for 20 years that, that to have the life that God wants you to have, Jesus Christ must become the heartbeat of your life. He must become the driving passion of your life. But I think that sometimes, at least I'm fearful, that when people hear that, they think, oh, if that happens, I mean, if I really, you know get crazy with this thing and, and really make Jesus Christ the absolute heartbeat of my life. I, I, I'm gonna have to sell everything I own and move to the other side of the world and, and tell people about Jesus or I, I'm gonna have to uh, join a convent or a, or, or a, or a monastery or, or heaven forbid, I, I might have to become a pastor <laughs> if, I, if I really you know sell out to this thing and he really becomes the, the heartbeat of my life. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. Uh, I... I If God calls you to vocational ministry, uh, it's the greatest calling you could ever receive in your life. I I wouldn't trade places, I truly wouldn't trade places with anybody else on earth. And if God calls you to vocational ministry, I don't believe you will ever be happy ever doing anything else. It's my personal conviction that you'll never really be satisfied or happy doing anything else until you respond to that call upon your life. So I'm, I'm not saying being called to vocational ministry is a bad thing. But what I am saying is that that's... That, that making Christ the heartbeat of your life has less to do with vocation and more to do with location. What I mean by that is this. Where is Christ located in your life? In other words, on the, on the ladder of priorities of life, where does Jesus Christ fit? Now, look up here at me. Listen to me. I want you paying attention to this. Stop texting Wake the person up next to you, whatever the case may be. I want you to listen to me. On the priority, on the ladder of the priorities of life, where does Jesus Christ rank? Now, before you just rush into the answer that you know that that the preacher wants to hear, right? Like we said a couple of weeks ago, feed the monkey the banana. Before you rush into that, I want you to stop a minute and think about that question. Where is Christ located? In your life. Matter of fact, I want to take a minute and I want to just pray about it. Would you join me? Father God, I do believe this is a very important question for each of us. A person without a relationship with Jesus Christ, in my opinion, based on the authority of your word, they have no hope at all. And they need to surrender their life completely and fully and totally to you. They need to come to the cross and admit their sin and admit their need for you. But, Father, for those of us who have been to that high and holy ground, spiritually speaking, we have come to the cross, we've recognized our need for you, we've invited you into our life, we've asked you to be our Lord and Savior. Father, I think this question is very important for us. Where is Jesus Christ located in my life? So I ask today for honesty with with each other, with ourselves, Lord God, I'm not going to ask anybody to answer that question out loud. But we need to be honest with ourselves as we look at our lives. Maybe a student, maybe a, a person that's a, a homemaker, maybe a, someone who's working at a job they travel a lot, or someone that works at a job that, that they're the boss of, or they work for, whatever it is. Father, I don't, it doesn't really matter. That's what I'm trying to say here. Where are you located in our life? Just give us wisdom, give us honesty, help us to understand and help us to move in the direction that you would have us to move. In Christ's strong name, amen. Where is Christ located in your life? Is he a part of your life? Is he some Sunday morning ritual? Some part of some, some regular routine. Oh, I got to get up every morning. I got to do this devotional stuff. And is he just part of a, of a routine? Is he part of a, of a ritual? You see, it, it doesn't matter, ladies and gentlemen. You can be a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker. You can be an engineer. You can be a homemaker. You can be a student. You can be a preacher. And ask yourself that question Is Jesus Christ the heartbeat? of my life? That's the question that I want us to ask ourselves today. Now, I actually have for you today, if you're a regular part of cross-culture, you know what I'm referring to. I actually have Two BP squareds I want to share with you today. Two big picture biblical principles. I'm going to read the text here in just a moment and then give you the big picture biblical principle. But I kind of want you to be ready for that. Normally I just kind of have one BP squared. But I've got two today based on the passage of Scripture that we're looking at. We are working our way through the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 1 and this morning we're picking it up in uh, verse 12 and reading through verse 26. With this question in the background... Where is Christ located in my life? Another way of putting that, is he my heartbeat? Does everything else in my life come off of that one central idea? Let's read Paul's magnificent words, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Are you with me? Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out For the greater progress of the gospel. We've talked about those circumstances. I'll talk about them again in a moment. But my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Let me just say this. Praetorian Guard was like uh, the elite. They were like the special forces, so to speak, of the Roman army. They were handpicked pretty much by the emperor, and their assignment was to guard the emperor. They stayed in Rome if the emperor was in Rome or wherever the emperor went. The Praetorian Guard, they were like the elite uh, soldiers of their day. It's become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ Even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life. Or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. For I'm hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Aren't those great words? Isn't that a great letter? Listen, here's the BP squared we're starting with this morning. It looks like this The priority of Christ directed Paul's perspective. Say it again. The priority of Christ, Christ being number one, directed Paul's perspective. Now, I mentioned a few weeks ago that, circumstantially, this was one of the lowest points in Paul's life. You ever been there? You ever been a point in your life when it's just, it can't get any worse than this? This is rock bottom? This is, well, circumstantially, this was probably as low a point as Paul had ever been to in his life. It started... With a, with a misunderstanding and an angry mob in Jerusalem that landing, landed him in prison in Caesarea for two years. He then boards a ship for Rome that gets caught in a storm, sinks, he's floating around out there in the ocean for a day and a night, something like that, finally washes up on the island of Malta, spends about a month on the island of Malta. I think he's bit by a snake, poisonous deadly snake while he's there. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Sorry. He ends up on the island of Malta. Finally, another ship picks him up and carries him the rest of the way to Rome, where he has now spent approximately another two years in prison, waiting for his case to come to trial. Most, not all, but most of his friends have abandoned him, bailed out on him, left him high and dry. And now, as we just read Some pastors slash missionaries, may have been a little bit of both. Men that that Paul may have possibly even led to the Lord. Men that Paul had invested his life in and trained them doctrinally. These same men had turned on him. Listen, can I just sidebar and say this? I know that we would all like to think that pastors are are perfect and they're godly men and they and they always do everything right and and that their 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 central goal is always the advancement of the kingdom of God. But unfortunately, as demonstrated here, there have been and there always will be men who are unscrupulous in their actions and whose desire is to to build them own selves up and build their own kingdom up rather than build the kingdom of God up. And it doesn't matter who they trample on on their way to the top. All that matters is that this is, this is where I'm going. This is what happened with Paul. He, they saw this as an opportunity. Paul's circumstances, they saw this as an opportunity. They pounced on it. And these people that Paul poured his life into and loved. Can you just imagine the sense of betrayal that you would feel in that? And what is Paul's response to all of this? This guy who has, who has walked away from power and prestige and notoriety in his religion that he was in. He's walked away from all of that so that he can tell as many people as possible about the name of Jesus. That, that, that's been his end goal from the day he came to Christ. That's all he's trying to do. This guy who's, who has been in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from his countrymen, in, in danger on travels, in danger in cities, in danger from mobs. Talk about diehard hard. This guy was the John McLean of the ancient world. He's been beaten with rods. He's been stoned. He's been whipped. He's been in jail more than Lindsay Lohan. And, and after all of this, if that wasn't enough, most of his companions in the journey have, for whatever reason, just, you know, we just don't, Paul, this has gone on. We just don't know what's going to happen with you. And they've just drifted off. And then others have even taken advantage of the situation and attacked him even while he's in prison. And what is Paul's response to all of this? What does he say? What then? Modern translation, so what? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Notice, present tense and future tense. I am rejoicing, and I'm going to keep right on rejoicing no matter what happens to me. <laughs> is, there a, is there a pill you can take for that? I mean, for real, is there like a Jesus pill that you can take and, and you're just going to have that kind of response all the time every time something goes wrong, every time something goes bad, every time something terrible happens in your life, every time somebody hurts you or mistreats you or betrays you? or Is there just some pill that you can take and you're, you're just going to have that kind of response in your life? I'd really like to know that if there is. There are a few things I want to say uh, about this in response to this first one is this paul didn 't get it right all the time he didn 't now i'm not i 'm not picking on paul, but again i 'm afraid that when you when you read that kind of stuff there's a there 's a danger of you thinking, oh my goodness, this this stuff is only for like spiritual supermen and women. I could never reach the level of spiritual maturity that Paul has reached. I, I just I, I can't no way I can do that. Listen, Paul was a flesh and blood, flesh and bone individual just like you and me are. I'm sure that Paul had his days of doubts. I'm sure that Paul knew what it was to be discouraged. Paul didn't get it right all the time. And I tell you that so that you can kind of of be encouraged by that and think, okay, I don't don't have to be perfect in this. You understand what I'm saying? He didn't get it right all the time. Here's another thing. Paul didn't rejoice in what he was going through. Again, I think that's a misconception. That I have to be... Happy or rejoice in my circumstances in the sense that, woohoo, been diagnosed with cancer. No, oh, right? All oh, right, I got laid off my job. <laughs> right? My, my, my husband or, or wife is, is acting like a not nice person. <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy about that. No. Paul didn't rejoice necessarily in what he was going through. What he rejoiced in, watch this, was the outcome as a result of what he went through. Well, look, look at it again. What then? So what? Only that in every way, and we'll fast forwarding here, only that in every way Christ is proclaimed. So what? So what that I've been in prison for. Almost four years. So what that people have have said things about me. So what that that people have left me. So what that I've been beaten. And so what that I've been stoned. And so, so what about all that stuff? Christ is proclaimed. The end result is that the kingdom of God is advancing. And in this, in that fact that the kingdom was advancing. In that, I rejoice. Yes, I will say it again. I will rejoice. So please don't think that... Well, I, I must be unspiritual because I, I just, I, I'm hating what I'm going through. That, that's not the point. The point is, can you look at it and see where God can work in it? Which then brings us to the third idea that I want to bring to your attention. Paul didn't let his perspective direct his priority. But instead, as the BP squared said, he let his priority direct his perspective. Now, here's the difference. If Paul lets his Perspective, in other words, what he can see, what he's experiencing, what he's going through, that's his perspective, right? Your perspective is what is your life right now. it's what you're seeing, it's what you're going through, it's what you're experiencing in your life. If you let that perspective direct you, it will change your priority. because the priority is supposed to be what? We gave away the first week, right? The priority is what? Christ, He's the heartbeat. If my perspective, my circumstances, the things I'm going through, if that's what is directing my life, if that's how I'm operating, then it will change my priority. And in Paul's case, if he lets that happen, he will begin to back down and, and back away from his priority of life, which was to make Christ known to as many people as he possibly could. Now, you say, well, how do you know Paul would do that? I know Paul would do that because that's what all of us do, ladies and gentlemen, every single time our perspective Takes the focal point of our lives every single time our perspective begins to direct our lives, it moves us away from the priority of our life, which is Christ. Oh well, you know, if I wasn't if I not doing this, or if I wasn't trying to do so much good, or if I wasn't giving so much of my money, or if I wasn't whatever it is the person doing, if I wasn't doing this, then it would be better for me. You see, kind of back and, begin to back away from that priority of my life. No, instead, Paul said, "No, my priority." is going to direct my perspective. And so because of that, Paul could there, I believe in verse 18, say, in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. I, um, some of you maybe have heard me mention before a lady that I used to know named Jean. I, I've written about her in a book that may never get published, but I, I've written about her in a book that I've written. And I tell the story about Jean. Jean was a lady that I, I knew in Tennessee many years ago when I worked for the Postal Service. And I used to deliver mail sometimes. And um, I would deliver mail to Jean's house. Jean, I don't know what Jean had, but as a young girl, Jean had contracted some disease, uh, some sickness, that left her completely hospital bedridden. Her, her finger, I remember her, some of her fingers had been amputated, but what, what ones that were there, they were all... You know, like balled up, curled up, and uh, her feet were the same thing. These just and her lo- whole life con- consisted of this hospital bed that she lay in in a in a bedroom uh, that was maybe if you start at this table, it might go to the end of this stage. It might have been that wide and about that long, maybe a little bit longer. There were two windows in the bedroom. The reason I know all this, by the way, is because you had to take the mail into Jean into her bedroom because she, she couldn't not coming out to the mailbox. Um, The bedroom had two windows, one right beside her where she lay, and the other one would have been behind her head, so it didn't do much good other than let light in the room. She couldn't really look out of it. That was her circumstances. Her perspective was in this hospital bed, looking out a little window in a little house on a little street behind a grocery store, in an alley. And and yet, as uh, as I write in my book, Jean, to this day, is one of the most joyful persons I have ever known in my life. You just, when you left Jean's house, I'm telling you, you're just walking taller. You're just like, ah, i just been with Jean. You know, it's just like, she just made you feel that way. There was just this, this joy of life and joy of the Lord in her life. One of the coolest things about Jean's life was that she refused to let her perspective direct her priority. I've heard that somewhere before. I can't, anyway... Jean had an opportunity. You you think, well, what can she do? What can she do for Christ? She's in a bed all day. Okay, she can pray. Yeah, she can pray. Okay, first off, she can pray. It's hard to beat that, but I don't know how it happened or how it worked out or whatever, but Jean had this routine where every day, the kids in the neighborhood, when they got off the bus, the first thing they did was run to Jean's house. They ran to Jean's house, and Jean had this lady helper that would come in I guess she came in every day, I can't remember, but she would, you know, change sheets and do whatever she needed to do for Jean. And, um, and then Jean would always have her put some cookies out on the dining room table. And here would, all the kids would come. As soon as the school bus let them off, they'd come into Jean's house, they'd get the cookies, they'd all come into Jean's room and they'd all sit around and then they'd pick out whatever book that they wanted Jean to, to read. And one of them would, hold the, would stand there beside her and hold the, the book up and turn the pages for her while Jean would read them stories from God's word. And the kids would just listen, and they would laugh, and they'd go out of there walking taller. Now, listen, from an earthly perspective, that makes absolutely no sense at all. That's miserable. How could you possibly be filled with joy? Because, like Paul, she didn't let her perspective direct her priority, but instead chose to let her priority, which was to honor Christ, to make Christ the center of life, she insisted on that directing her perspective. So her perspective was totally different than what she actually was experiencing in her life. Does that make sense to you all? Think about it this way. A, a movie director, when a film is made, the director is kind of the one that's, as I understand it, pretty much has total control. The director is the one who calls the shot angles. The director is the one that tells the actors when to act and how to act and when to cry or kiss or, or cuddle or, or blow something up or whatever it is that all the director is going to have them do the director is the one that controls the lighting and the sound other people have their expertise and they're using that but the director is the one that's overseeing the overall thing the the one directing is the one that's controlling you understand what I'm saying see where I'm going with this if your circumstances if your perspective what you're seeing in your life if that is the director of your life right now okay so let me ask you this question Does your perspective on your circumstances direct your priority in life or does your priority in life, Christ, direct your perspective of your circumstances? Now before, again, before you just answer that too quickly, I want you to give some serious consideration to that question because I'll just be honest with you. I meet a lot of people that would have to admit to the the former and very few that could say the latter, yes, my priority directs my perspective. Does your perspective on your circumstances direct your priority in life or does your priority in life direct your perspective of your circumstances? Can I tell you this? That we're, this is, you know, the whole thing, the power of God, God has to do this kind of thing, but I'm telling you, again, keep in mind, nobody gets it right all the time, right? Nobody, I don't think anybody gets it right all the time, but listen to me. You will never get it right. You will never get it right until you come to the place that you understand that your priority has to direct your perspective. So, I want to help you a little bit with this this morning. You may think this is corny. You may think this is stupid. But this is my dime, so I'm taking advantage of the opportunity. You have to, every morning, you have to roll out. of it. by the way, I'm going to send you this, all right? If you're, on the, if you're on the emailing list of Cross Culture Church, I'm going to send you this tonight or tomorrow morning. And, and I just, I don't get royalties from this prayer or anything, all right? But I'm just saying, I think this will work. You have to roll out of bed every morning, and this is what you have to say. And if you will, if you don't mind, even if you're not going to do it long term, would you say this out loud? Would, would you say this prayer with me out loud this morning? Father, today I choose to let the priority of Christ direct my perspective of my circumstances. I will look for how you can be glorified in my life today. I will look for ways to be used by you for the advancement of your kingdom. If things are clear and things go well, are you thought saying that with me? I will rejoice in you. If things aren't clear and things don't go well, I will still rejoice in you. Because my perspective of my circumstances is not going to direct my priority. I choose Christ. Like I said, you may think it's corny. You may think it's stupid. I just say, I need stuff like that. I need reminders. I need triggers. I need whatever I have to do to make me go to the place where I begin to let the power of God work in my life. And I have to decide to do that. I have to choose to do that. I have to choose to say, Father God, I want you to take control of my life today. Would you begin to direct me? Would you make sure that my priority is directing my perspective and not the other way around? However you say it. And you can delete it if you want or you can print it out and and stick it in your Bible and use it every morning. Like I said, I don't get royalties either way, but I'm just saying I need help. If that'll help you, then feel free to use it. All right. So, that's a BP squared. That's a big picture biblical principle from 12 through 18. Now let's look at the second half of that passage of Scripture. The promise of Christ drove Paul's purpose. The priority of Christ directed Paul's Something. <laughs> the priority of Christ uh, drove uh, Paul's perspective. The promise of Christ drove Paul's purpose. Now, let's read it again. in, in verse, Picking it up in verse 19. Y'all with me? Okay. Verse 19. Watch this. He just said, Yes, I and I will rejoice. Verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, for I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And that apparently, by the way, was... God had apparently just revealed that to Paul in a prayer time. Because remember, he's been in prison. He doesn't know how this thing is going to go. It very certainly could end in death. But apparently, God had revealed to him, no, Paul, this is not the end yet. I'm I'm going to get you out of this. You still have some, some work to do. That seems to be what Paul's saying. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith. So that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ. It's not about me. This is about what Christ is doing through my coming to you again. You'll see me. Again, the book of Philippians, which, you know, I just, I love the book of Philippians, but the book of Philippians is full of what you might call uh, spiritual one-liners, right? You you understand what I mean by that? The book of Philippians is full of of spiritual one-liners. The latter part of Philippians 1, verse 6, He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a good one, isn't it? Uh, Philippians 3, verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Philippians four verse eleven. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Wow, that's a big one, isn't it? Can't wait to get there. Philippians four thirteen, you ever heard this one? Say that with me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And Philippians four nineteen and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How many of you have had somebody or have yourself said to somebody one of those verses at some time in your life, right? Well, they're, they're good spiritual one-liners. We pull those out and, and we use them. And they are great verses. And we're going to look at every one of them if y'all stick with this series. And if Jesus doesn't come back before then or take me out, or if he takes me out, then somebody else can step in. Carry on, a Philippians. But but we're going to look at every one of those. And, and of course, all of God's word and all of God's promises are beautiful and, and wonderful. I, I'm just, what, what I'm nowhere in Scripture is the is the Christ, is the definition of a Christian or the understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Nowhere, I don't believe, in all of Scripture is that better or more more succinctly defined than in these magnificent words of Paul's. Here in chapter 1 and verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's it. That's what following Jesus is all about. It's interesting that, that Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, but it's almost like he's having this conversation with himself. Did you notice that? And it's, it's like he's having this conversation with himself. He says, wow. He said, I, I, if I stay, well, that's going to be fruitful labor. It's going to be good for y'all because I'm going to be able to encourage you. I'm going to be able to teach you. I'm going to be able to strengthen you. I'm going to be able to, to, to expand God's kingdom and, and glorify God to a greater degree. But, but, oh, how I want to go and be with Christ. For that is, as Paul says, very much better. Paul says, I I, I want to And it's interesting, Paul says, I want to depart. Um, The Bible commentator Ward Wearsby says that the word that Paul uses there in the Greek to depart was a word that was used on several different occasions in in the Greek language. It was used by soldiers to mean to take down your tent and move on. And I'm just thinking that Paul's thinking, yep, so I'm a soldier of the Lord, but I'm ready to, to break camp. I'm ready to head home. Thank you for that, mm, Dave. Need, need, that's, that's good stuff right there, if I do say so myself. It is also used by sailors to loo- loosen, I can't even say it, <laughs> to loosen a ship and set sail. Well, that's a lot of S's in there, and anybody knows me knows I had to go to school as a kid because I didn't know how to say S. To loosen a s- ship and set sail. I'm going get, to even get in trouble if I keep saying that. And I can just poll. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm ready to, to set sail out into eternity. Let's this, this, raise the mainsail and, and do something with the giblet or whatever all is going on on a ship. Let's head on out. I'm ready to go. Is there a giblet on a ship? I, I've, I've heard that somewhere. Okay, jib. It's also a political term. Did you know? the depart? He said I'm, said, I'm ready to depart. It was a political term, the setting free of a prisoner. Now, folks, that's exactly, Paul's like, man, I am beat up. I am worn out. I have been a prisoner of this body and of this life, and I am ready to be set free once and for all. Hmm. Okay. It was also a term used by farmers, meant to unyoke the oxen. Work's over. It's done. It's finished. Paul says, man, I, I'm ready to depart. That's, that's, that's my, I, I'm ready to go to the Christian, to the follower of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. What he's, what he's referring to is the promise that you find from Genesis to Revelation. The promise that this life is not all that there is. That this, that this uh, death is not final. That there is something beyond that God has prepared for us. That there is a promise coming that God has given to us of a place where there'll be more, no more death or pain or suffering or heartache or loss. Paul says, oh, I, I, I want to go to that place. I want to, I want to be in that place. And it says he's hard-pressed, by the way. The, the Greek verb means for, for pressure, to, to hem in on both sides. It's like Paul's feeling this pressure. I, I want to go. The idea is to hem in almost so that you can't even move. And Paul's just writing like I said, it's almost like he's having this conversation with himself. I, I, I want to stay, I want to help, I want to do more, but oh, I want to go and be with Christ. I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen in my life. I want to do both. <laughs> I think that's amazing. Unlike, it seems, many people in, in their later years of their life when they seem content to just sit down and... and maybe remember the days of what they used to do, Paul's like, no, 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 I, there's more I can do. There's more churches I can plant. There's, there's more teaching I can give. There, there's more kingdom I can advance. There's more glory I can bring to God. Let's get going. I want to do this. You see what's happening here? The promise is driving his purpose. Paul wants to go. How many of us have at some point heard or used this statement? Well, I'm ready to go to heaven when the Lord says, but I'm not looking to get on the next busload out of here. How many of you, come on, how many of you have used that statement? I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go to heaven when the Lord says, but I'm, I'm not looking to get on the next bus load out of here. Listen, Paul was looking to get on the next bus load out of here. But he wasn't letting that deter his purpose. It was driving his purpose. He knew what was in front of him. He knew what was going. And so he could say, for me to live, that's Christ. I, I, can, I can still do more kingdom work. But to die, that's nothing but pure gain. In essence, Paul had become a dead man. His heart's still beating, but he's living like a dead man. He's died to this world. It doesn't matter what they, people abuse me, people betray me, people give up on me, people put me in prison, people beat me, people throw me out in the ocean. Whatever they do, I'm a dead man. It's hard to hurt a dead man, ladies and gentlemen. And that's how he approached his life. For me to live is Christ, to die, that's nothing but gain for my life. Some of you know the story It's been a long time since I I told it. But some of you know the story of a man named Jim Elliott and a group of missionaries that were uh, killed in 1956 by, when when they were attempting to reach uh, a tribe of people known as the Alca Indians in in Ecuador, in the Amazon River Basin. Uh, If you've ever seen the movie The End of the Spear or read Through Gates of Splendor or Shadow of the Almighty, uh, some of Elizabeth Elliott's, Jim's uh, wife, widow who wrote about the experiences there in Ecuador. Some of you know, it was in 1956, it made national news, worldwide news, really, these five young men, uh, brilliant young men, who went down there and sacrificed their life. And it's an amazing story of, of how God then used that and how the Alca Indians, because of that event and what happened that day um, in Ecuador, how that tribe came to Christ and that tribe eventually began to, to go reach out to other tribes. It's, it's an amazing story how God... Uh, used it but a few years before his death Jim Elliott in his personal journal wrote these words and it's one of my favorites it's one of my favorite quotes and it's a quote that you can hang your life on maybe you've heard it Jim Elliott said this he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose what Jim Elliott is saying is to give my life to give my life In order to gain something that I cannot ever lose, that's a no-brainer. For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. That's the promise. Listen. You want to talk about beautiful words? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed. Or husband. This is the picture. You get it drawing right close to the end. It's almost at the end of the book of Revelation. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone. Say it. Say it loud. Forever. Forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. That is the promise. Ladies and gentlemen, so what are you doing with that promise? Is it something just sitting around and saying, Well, that's nice. Someday, gonna go up to heaven, wherever that is, and it's gonna be good. Or is that promise driving you towards the purpose of your life, which is Christ and to make Him known? Whether you're a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker, it doesn't matter. So that when you come to the end of your days, and all of us will one of these days, as Paul eventually did. No, when he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, it wasn't the end. We do know that he went on from there. But if you live your life with the promise before you, driving you towards the purpose for you, then when you do come to the end of your days, when I come to the end of my days, ladies and gentlemen, then we will be able to say, as the Apostle Paul did say when he came to the end of his days, the last letter he ever wrote, some of the last words he ever penned, Second Timothy chapter 4, and here's what he said, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Kept that purpose. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. His priority directed his perspective. And Christ's promise drove his purpose. For me to live is Christ. To die that's game.
0: Thanks, Pastor, for that timely reminder of the promise of God. As I said earlier, all of us can let our circumstances get the best of us at times. Being reminded of the promise of God is just what we need to continue to fulfill the purpose God has for us. The Apostle Paul had been through some pretty rough circumstances, but his faith in God kept his priority in order and kept him moving forward in the purposes of God. Paul's powerful words sum up beautifully what our heartbeat should be. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540 exit 7, and we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross, and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm
1: not the bread.